work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Macharco. This is George Macharco, host of DC Entrepreneur, here on WERA 96.7 FM. Today I'm speaking with Francesco Amadeo. He's the president of Don Filio, which is an Italian spirits producer in Ivy City, Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining me today. Of course. Thank you, George. So, Francesco, talk to me about the concept behind Don Filio, why you felt it was important to bring a spirits company here to Washington, D.C., and talk to me about how that is a unique position against some of the other manufacturers of spirits in D.C. I mean, the idea um, started because, you know, my family made products in the uh, Amalfi Coast for about almost 100 years. Um, D.C., um, around that time, did not have any uh, manufacturing in terms of beverage or, you know, spirits producers. So the idea started to you know, do something nice to DC since you know it became my home, and I wanted to bring back my family traditions. And that's how it started. And then we opened in 2012, so about seven years old now, uh, producing, as you mentioned, you know Italian style, of course. And so you were in Tacoma Park prior to being in Ivy City. Can you talk to me about why you switched to Ivy City? So Tacoma Park for us was just uh, to find a spot that was allowing us to produce it and to really see if the brand would work, uh, especially in this country. So we wanted to switch to Ivy City because we felt that, number one, we needed more space uh, to produce products for you know, uh, our distribution channel that goes throughout the country. And uh, we just want to make sure that we give also people a more of an experience. Uh, before, we did not have a bar inside our old space. So we all wanted to uh, showcase how to best use the products. And, and can you just describe for the listeners what the bar looks like? Uh, the bar is designed with the Malficos colors. So you have a light blue, a, you know, let's say um, navy blue and uh, uh, a white colors. So almost reminds you of the water, the sunset or, you know, the ocean. Um, and we kind of uh, took... Um, the design was inspired by this architect called Joe Ponti. Uh, there was an architect on the Amalfi Coast um, that designed the tiles that we'll see under the bar counter uh, last time in 1962. And, and so let's talk about your, your family heritage of working in the spirits industry. Can you talk to me about how that has influenced you as an entrepreneur? Well, you know, when I was young, I mean, the company was closed in 1980. Uh, so when I was young, I was growing up with my grandfather and grandmother, which was a winemaker, and then my grandmother was an executive chef. So I always had that some sort of in me. I just didn't know that was there. So when I discovered that this was possible, it just, you know, all clicked and uh, made it happen. So being able to bring back our family business, it was, it was a big task. Um, definitely, you know, I wanted to do it uh, something, I wanted to do it nice. And I think we achieved that so far. So let's talk about some of the products that you offer here uh, and the selections that you, you have here at the tasting bar. Can you just describe to me what, what you offer here in the tasting room? Of course. So we have uh, uh, two subcategories within our, uh, our portfolio. We have the bitter liqueurs and then the cordials. 
the bitter liqueurs will be able to go from a range between sweet and bitter. So you have anything that will remind you of uh, like an ambrosia, so a nice and spritzer uh, aperitif to, uh, let's say, a fernet, which is slightly more bitter, which is an amaro. So all this will be herbal liqueurs. So we have botanicals inside. Everything will range between, let's say, 12 botanicals to 30 botanicals. So it's a blend of herbs and fresh fruit. The sweeter cordials are more of uh, vegetable and fruit base. So the classic limoncello, so made with lemons. Uh, you have the mandarin, fennel, and the walnut, kind of the highlights of that, that category. And uh, you'll be able to taste it here uh, throughout the tastings that we offer every weekend, uh, all 15 products that we make. So 15 products, and how did you come up with these particular types of spirits to produce? So these were family recipes. Uh, some of them date back uh, 1894, some of them date back uh, 1933. So we just took those family recipes. So my family had about 45 different products. Uh, we have then decided to remodernize them, uh, the recipes, to bring the flavors to be more of a, um, let's say modern, but you know more refreshing, uh, and uh, using some new botanicals into into the into the mix to give a little bit more structure and be able to uh, have our consumers um, to enjoy them by themselves, but also having the bartenders to be able to make cocktails and really have the uh, be able to use them both ways. Uh, because for us, it's very important that you'll be able to sip it if you want to digest, and uh, then you drink it in a cocktail as well. What are some of the most popular types of cocktails that you produce with these spirits? I mean, the classic spritz, for example, uh, which we do with our ambrosia, uh, which is a turmeric, blood orange, cantaloupe, and carrot separatif. Um, we also make in, uh, a great cocktail called the Alexis, which is a blend of bourbon uh, with our nocino, walnut liqueur, and uh, Amaro de la Sirene, which is uh, eucalyptus, chicory, passion flower, and chamomile blend amongst 26 more botanicals. So you really can uh, do a lot of different cocktails. Because, for example, our menu at Bar Sirenes, it's uh, um, designed to have our guests to uh, select the bitter liqueur they enjoy the most, and then the style. So by just keeping a style, being a Negroni, a Spritz, or an Americano, you'll be able to already make so many variations. And so anybody can then go home and start it there and then slowly become more, let's say, geeky about it and uh, making different cocktails like the paper plane or anything that's a little more difficult and articulated that oftentimes, you know, after work, you don't want to do it because it's... Way too, uh, way too hard. You just want something simple. So the classic will allow you to be, you know, fast and efficient. Just get a drink and don't stress out too much about making a cocktail. So we then allow people to come here, and uh, we'll do things a little bit more, uh, let's say, fancier. If uh, people are not as a, as a, a cocktail enthusiast as someone can be, and also we we'll be able to give the cocktail uh, enthusiasts and the geekier uh, consumers, the, um, a canvas, almost like, you know, you want to paint this beautiful canvas, we give you all the color to make this cocktail, and then you can experiment at home. If you, the level of difficulty, it's, you know, six and up. So you can have it both ways. 
And so uh, a lot of the spirits that you're talking about are, are frankly bitter. Um, are, are you seeing that there's a trend right now in the, uh, the U.S. marketplace for some of these particular types of spirits? Because I know like Fernet, it's an acquired taste. I think it also has kind of the background uh, and story that it's uh, kind of the secret handshake amongst bartenders here in, in D.C. But but are you seeing that there's kind of a wider audience that you can bring some of these spirits to? Yeah, definitely. You know, when we, for example, launched the Sirene in 2014, um, definitely was an acquired taste. Definitely had a lot of education to be done to make sure that people will understand the product. Um, I think as everything evolved around us, uh, the palate also has changed. So people will uh, be able to ex- uh, experiment and taste um, and evolve into the bitter flavors. And also you got to say, you know, a lot of people as a bartenders have started to use these products more and more. So it becomes normal. And as you know, it's like spicy food. You started with uh, a, a little bit of jalapenos and then you go through different, you know, uh, other sauces they're going to be you know hotter and hotter so then the amaros and the bitter liqueurs are like that so you started something let's say in an entryway uh, like for example one of my favorites montenegro for the longest time so you started with montenegro which is one of the sweetest amaro on the market and then you know you evolve 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 into something very very bitter and going back to your fernet you know very acquired taste that not everybody can can enjoy it um, so it's really a scale, a range of, of bitterness. Um, that's why also we have developed a, a, a bitterness barometer uh, beyond our, our labels. So consumers, when they go to a retail store, they can ask the, the staff uh, about the product, what it's made. And also when they turn the label, they can see the bitterness barometer. So they can have kind of a scale of guidance for them to, to really know what's inside. So can you talk to me about some of the history uh, behind some of these types of spirits? Because I know traditionally a lot of times they were used almost for digestion. They were aperitifs. They were part of a meal. Can you just maybe educate some of our listeners out there as to you know, the, the history and background of them? So uh, amaros, uh, meaning you know, herbal liqueurs, they've always been used as a medicinal. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, for example, uh, fernet always been sold as a, um, in pharmacies to allow you to digest or cure any you know, stomach ache or anything like that. But for the longest time, uh, a lot of producers use uh, the uh, Peruvian bark, so the chincona, which allows you to, let's say, cure malaria. So a lot of those herbs and roots were used to cure, um, were like the ancient medicine. Um, so then people started to infuse them uh, and to really extrapolate all the flavors, to macerate and take all the flavors from them. Um, now, the, the modern times, you know, you're just going to be able to make a great cocktail. Um, but for the longest time, it's, it's still today, it still uses a medicine. So um, it's a lot of people that owned pharmacies back then uh, that were making these things. And then this slowly evolved into a much wider business as, you know, the generational change will happen. Now, for example, you don't drink a Fernet as a medicine, you drink it more of a cocktail ingredient. So things will evolve. So people have evolved with it. Um, but this is, goes back to, you know, 1800s when, you know, everything started from the monks and monasteries, they created champagne and so forth. So it's been there all the time. 
So we just need to use it to uh, create new things out of it. And so uh, can you just talk to me about your, your distribution methods and, and how you're able to get your products out there? Is it just available locally in D.C. here, or are you trying to expand to like the East Coast, nationally, internationally? Like, What is your distribution plan? We've been around now for about seven years, and uh, right about the beginning of 2017, we were able to uh, actually start distributing nationwide. So we do are available here locally in the D.C., area and you know uh, Maryland, Delaware and Virginia which is our distributor takes care of those of those states. Also you can find our products all the way across across the US. So you can go to Boston, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, uh, California, Portland, um, Texas. So basically we be able to increase our footprint about 37 states. Uh, Panama, uh, Canada, Puerto Rico as well. And uh, slowly as now we just literally start now to uh, produce a little bit more higher volume into our new space, we will be able to expand to Europe and Asia, which we had a lot of you know, requests, but uh, space and inventory um, was always been the biggest challenge. But now that we could produce up uh, to 60,000 cases a year, uh, then that would be no problem. So then plans to export, uh, where would they export from? Would they export from here directly, uh, here in Ivy City, or would it be from a warehouse? No, they will, everything will, will, go, will go out from here because, you know, we need to control the production from, you know, start to finish um, because for us, quality of the products is very important. And then, you know, they will go to uh, a bonded warehouse, let's say in Rotterdam in Holland. Uh, they will have distributors picking up from there. And same thing with, you know, uh, Asia. On your t-shirt, you have, my Amaro is made in D.C., which I think is interesting to point out because there is a resurgence of businesses here in D.C. that are trying to produce local-made items. Can you talk to me about how important it is to have that made in D.C. label as part of your product? I mean, think about it. You know, when I came here for the first time in 2006, you know, I felt that this is, was my new, new home away from, from the Mafia Coast. So I wanted to, you know, bring some to, to the D.C. area. And, uh, you know, I think it's very important that, you know, all the small businesses will embrace that to really uh, scale the economy and bring the D.C. name out there, not just for politics or whatever other reason that D.C. is known for. Uh, there are other things that are, you know, way more fun and way more um, interesting like the uh, distilleries, you know, for since 2012, you know, we were just us and uh, New Columbia distillers. And now there's about nine different distilleries, breweries, um, local shops that you actually can buy, uh, local produce, you know, meat and, uh, and, and vegetables and anything else. So it's, it's very important that the city grows and the local aspect grows with it, you know, farmers markets. So let's talk about the geographic distinction of Ivy City here, because I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of distilleries pop up in this location. And I think that probably has to do with some of the zoning that they have here in D.C. But can you just talk to me about why this particular neighborhood is kind of becoming this this area for renaissance and cocktails? I mean, I think for the 
For the real estate uh, point of view, uh, as you mentioned, zoning. So for you to own a manufacturing business, and um, you need to have a commercial zone. Um, so it's either the CM or the PDR zone. And there are not really many left in the city because everybody's going to you know, build a, an apartment building or offices, which is, which is great because it brings a little bit more uh, population to, into the city. Um, so anything really, it's on the outer side of the city. So we were before at Tacoma Park, but we were in a great zone, but nothing was around it. So we needed something that was a little bit more, I like to say all the time, closer to civilization. So it doesn't take you 40 minutes to drive up there. It's going to be less. So if you're living, let's say, in Noma, or if you're living any, anywhere you know, downtown, you know, it's going to take you 15 minutes and, you know, you can go to Union Market, you can go to, you know, Stellina Pizzeria down the street, you know, you can have lunch and then come here and then really do something fun because you can hop into different distilleries and really explore what the um, other uh, local distilleries are doing. The city is shifting and there's no, almost nowhere else to, nowhere else to go. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing to bring up because you've seen the expansion. We were talking about this earlier before we started taping 14th Street just developing. And now it seems like everything pretty much in the northeast quadrant of D.C. is starting to see a lot more multi-use dwellings, mixed-use dwellings, uh, condos, businesses are popping up here. You've got Ivy City Smokehouse. It's really interesting to see like these little neighborhoods, these little pockets develop. When you came to Ivy City, like what, what kind of drew you to this area initially? Was it, was it just the zoning or was there something else about it? Um, I mean, we wanted to be here because all our friends were here. Uh, you have 1-8 across the street. You have Republican Restoratives. You have Jose Magnus, Cotton and Reed. You have the New Columbia Distillers. So everybody was here. And I wanted to be closer to them. So for a consumer perspective, you can, it's going to be like one-time stop. So everything is accessible to you. You can just choose to go three to five or, you know, how many of the cities you want to hit in one day. You don't have to go and drive across, across the city all the time. That's why we wanted to be here, is to get closer to our friends and be able to give more of a, 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 an interesting experience to, to the guests to really make some a day, you know, a very fun day out of it. So we, we were talking earlier about your family and how you had family recipes that were handed down. Can you just talk to me about your path as an entrepreneur? Was it influenced by your family or, you know, what kind of led you on the path that you wanted to start your own business? Um, I mean, for the longest time, I had a dream when I was 18 to open my own bar. But, you know, when I almost did that back then, my uncle that uh, he kind of trained me because I was working as assistant general manager back with him. He says, no, don't do it because, you know, you don't have much experience. So I really took that to heart because I was really looking, you know, up to him. And uh, I kind of decided to listen, even though I didn't like it, uh, to dedicate my life into learning more and more about restaurant business. And, you know, when I came here, Magically, I found a job after two weeks that allowed me to be, become you know, the head bartender and then the wine director. Um, so I really started to you know, dive in into the restaurant business. And I had a great opportunity to open 
few restaurants in the city, one of which was Hook in Georgetown, um, 2007. And then uh, really have to give a lot to the owner of Bibiana, uh, Shuk Bajaj. He was the one that actually believed in my skills and he had the restaurant in my hands when I was only 28. So I became the youngest GM in this restaurant group, which, you know, it's for his standards, it's very, uh, it's a great achievement. So I was just running his business for him. And everything was great. I mean, we had three years, it was absolutely fantastic. So that's why I kind of always wanted to do something on my own. And I said to myself, if you don't do something in this country before you turn in 30, then you can just, you know, pack up your bags and go. Uh, luckily, when I turned 29, and we made uh, Don Chicho happen, so it was kind of a fun experience. But you know, all my life I wanted to open my own bar, and I made it. You know, it's Bar Sirenes is the 17, 18 years in the making. Uh, they kind of give what I always wanted to give to to our guests. The kind of experience that um, just simply just have people spend three hours of their life in a very nice environment, uh, which stress-free, drama-free, and you can, you know, have fun with your friends and just drink some very good cocktails. So it seems like everything kind of led you on this path of, you know, being, having your career working in, in the res- restaurant industry and then the family background with making wine and then this is kind of the next logical step then, bringing your hospitality experience to uh, the, con- the customer, directly to the customer. Yeah, I mean, everything is just about experience. It's about your path. So I guess, you know, uh, if you really believe in destiny, everything just led to this. So it just meant to happen. Um, and the goal really with Don Chicho is about to really share our craft and expand it out and have more people enjoy it uh, just by, you know, using certain type of ingredients uh, the way that we, you know, blend the products to, to have that aperitivo, digestivo, so to either open your appetite or to help you to digest it, um, and really like share the craft. And going back to what you said about made in DC, which is I believe it's very important because you know, as I mentioned to you before, we are reborn, never reinvented because you know we are Italians as much as we are Americans. So we are proud to be both and, you know, just bring that DC love everywhere else in, in the world with our Italian roots. Let's talk about risk as an entrepreneur, because you have to risk a certain amount of capital up front. You have to risk a certain amount of good standing to, to bet on your dream. Can you talk to me about how you've approached risk as an entrepreneur? Well, you know, the risk is always there. I mean, the, the risk is you're always going to end up, you know, out of cash. Um, and you know that your idea it's it's not gonna last it's not gonna work so the way that I have kind of thought about risk it's number one I never thought about to be honest Um, I just wanted to before I presented my idea to anybody I want to make sure that it was truly a good idea a good concept that's the reason why we don't produce certain types of liqueur we wanted to make something that was unique, a niche product that had an opportunity. Um, so I sat on that, this idea for about two years uh, because you know, I want to make sure that I have a good idea and I had 
the ability to succeed. Of course, you know, risk is always there. Things can always go sideways. But uh, the risk really comes with, with, with the job. I mean, um, I remember one of my dear friends, he told me that, you know, dreaming is free. The hustle doesn't come with it. Uh, so the risk is part of the hustle. So, you know, it's, you need to do things smart. You got to be, you know, think twice before you make any decisions. Um, and, you know, just trying to uh, protect yourself because there is a lot of people out there that they don't care and they just want to take advantage. So always, you know, protect yourself so the risk will reduce itself and concept. You got to think it through. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs out there? Uh, never lose the, uh, the passion, uh, really, because once that candle turns off, that's it. Um, so just keep at it. Never give up. Just uh, remember what I've, whatever will, you know, gave you the strength in the first place to, to do something and to really go after your dreams and just keep going. Never look back. Great. Well, Francesco Amadeo, it was great speaking with you today. Thanks so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. We'll catch you next time here on DC Entrepreneur. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook and connect with us on our blog, dc-entrepreneur.com. Please tune in to our next episode. And thanks for listening.